thing out, right? <laughs> if I were to start running down the aisles or something like that, we've, you know we've gotten to some good scripture. Um, I, I've also got, I put together last night, uh, I know, y- y'all see, I don't have a watch, so uh, all the rumors about Landon being able to talk for forever are true. Uh, so to kind of try to rein in the focus for today, God has led me to put together kind of a little slideshow. So we only have to get through 10 slides, all right? And if you've ever given a presentation, you know uh, that generally you can burn through a slide in about 30 seconds. Well, that's not the case with me. Uh, I've done it so that y'all can have kind of an outline of what we're going to be looking at today. And I'm probably going to spend most of my time down here instead of up there. Uh, if I could, I wish I could sit like right next to you um, because I know that what we're going to be talking about today, you can see the, the, first, the first slide there. And this is kind of uh, part of Romans, verse, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 17. It's just kind of a snip, snippet of it. Uh, we'll find the last part of that at the end of the slideshow. Uh, We're going to read. That'll be the first place that we start reading today. Uh, So uh, I I was kind of wrestling. I know preachers tend to, like, title their messages, right? Well, as a teacher, I've never had to title anything. We just talk about stuff every day. So uh, I was kind of, I've been praying because, like I say, I was called to preach while we were going through Ecclesiastes. If you ever uh, have studied through Ecclesiastes or if you've ever been to one of those Bible studies, then that's awfully frightening because... What you find in the book of Ecclesiastes is something that really weighs heavy on us. It is the law. And I was afraid in that calling. I'm like, Lord, please don't let that be the first thing that I preach on. You understand that if you were at any of those Bible studies. Okay. So he led me to Romans chapter 8, verse, uh, really we're going to be looking at the whole chapter or the last half of the chapter, excuse me. Uh, and you can see that clearly if I'm wanting to preach an encouraging message, I've still got a little work to do on my titles of the sermons. So today we're going to be talking about sharing in his suffering. Uh, another thing, I am kind of have come from teaching. Uh, I didn't just start out as a preacher. I've been teaching for a while. And in doing that and kind of the whole teaching thing, I like to ask questions, Right? So one thing that I would ask of you this morning is if I ask a question, you know, don't be afraid to answer. I know a lot of people that are in my class tend to be like, well, Landon's just going to shoot us down. Um, I won't shoot you down, um, maybe. So the first question that I want us to look at in the title of this, let's first uh, go to the Lord in prayer. I've got one note today. I, I, I tend not to to do notes either. I've got one note today. It says pray with the exclamation points. Um, I didn't do this because I was afraid that I would forget to pray. I did this to remind you to pray for me and to pray for one another as we dig into the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today. It's going to be an encouraging passage, but it's not going to feel that way at first. Um, But trust me, it is. Uh, So let's open up in prayer, and then I'm going to ask you the first question. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, you're 
so awesome and so wonderful. Your name is great and so worthy of our praise. Lord, I come this morning asking you to forgive me. Lord, so often I fail you, so often I find myself seeking my own desires. I don't think that I am alone in that today. Lord, we come to you needing you. You don't need us. We need you so much. I need you so much. Lord, as we begin studying this passage of Scripture this morning, I ask that you would guide our steps, guide my words. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would move in our lives in a profound way. Lord, I ask that you would help us to maybe come to a new understanding of what it means for us when we share in your suffering. I thank you for Christ who did not have to suffer, but chose to suffer. Let that be the weight of the message today. It's in his name that I ask these things. Amen. All right, so question number one uh, comes from the first slide. Uh, no, well, back up one there. We're, we're talking today about suffering, and this is going to be an encouraging message, I promise. Uh, the first thing that I want to ask you, we're sharing in his suffering. I'm going I'm to start out by reading. We're going to be looking at two passages, two places in Scripture today. Uh, the first place is going to be in... Romans chapter 8, I want to kind of give you kind of a rundown of what we're going to be doing, okay? We're going to look at Romans chapter 8. First, we're going to look at Romans 8, verse 17 and verse 18. Then we're going to jump over to 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look in chapter 11 and chapter 12, and it'll be clear why we're going to do that in, in a moment. Uh, then we're going to come back to 8, tie in what we've learned in chapter 11 and 12 of 2 Corinthians, and then jump down to Romans 8, verse 28, 29, and 30. And then the way that I'm going to close out the message today, am I walking too much? The way that I'm going to close out the message today is just by reading, okay? Uh, what I hope that we find as we examine 8, 17, 18, we're going to jump down to 28, 29, 30. As I hope that we find why it is that Paul here in chapter 8 can come to the profound conclusion that he comes to that leads him in, what, 8, 9 verses here of essentially praise. Uh, so let's start off by reading... Uh, so, like I say, question, who, who is it that we're sharing in the suffering of? Jesus, okay? So, when we think about suffering, okay, and this is not an easy thing to do, and I, I realize this, okay? Uh, but when we talk about suffering, let us not consider our own suffering without first considering the suffering of Christ, okay? So, 
whenever we, and we deal with some, I'm not, what we're going to find is that Paul himself here does not make light of our suffering, okay? Uh, this is what I hope that we see, is that God in no way makes light of our suffering. But what we will find if we diligently seek Him in His Word is that He and His glory outshines all of our suffering. It so vastly outshines our suffering that if we were to combine all the suffering that we're all going through today, if we combine all the suffering of all the generations that come before us and after us, and we set them on a scale, do you know what we would find when we place the glory that we have hope of in Christ on the other side? Do you know what we would find? This is a question part right here. What would we find? It doesn't come close. And a matter of fact, if you were to set our suffering and our pain on one side, and then you were to take it, you probably couldn't move the weight of His glory. But say He moved the weight of His glory and dropped it on the other side, all the pain and suffering that we know, that we will ever know, that we could ever consider, would fly so far out of view that all you would be aware of is His glory. And this is the hope that we have. Okay, This is the hope that I want you to be looking for as we dig through this Scripture today. Okay? I, I, I want to make mention of this. Uh, why this Scripture? Why this passage? In particular, why... Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, which has been, for me, a place of strength. Uh, this month, three years ago, uh, my wife and I lost our second daughter. Uh, many of you who are members of our church or friends, you know the story. The same day that we found out what we were going to name her, we also found out that we would not get to keep her. And just so happen, right? Like this is the way that we this is the way that we think about it. We say, well, just so happened God had me in the right verse at the right time to give me strength to go through this. And I will say, no. It was not just so happen. Right? So for each and every one of you Christians today who are going through something in your life when God works things out for good. It didn't just so happen, okay? So let's give him the credit that he deserves, okay? Let's read. We're going to be starting in Romans 8, verse 17. I've put up on the slideshow the two probably most popular uh, versions of the translations that have come to us in English, King James Version. Uh, and NIV. Um, the reason I've done this, and I've done this in a couple of places, and in black on the screen, you'll see the differences in the text. And I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation, and it has some differences also. But what I want to point out, and it's the reason that I've kind of bolded these sections, is that at the end of the day, they say the same thing, okay? I've studied this verse. I've been studying the book of Romans for around seven years, okay? A long, long time. And I've studied in about every translation that you can come up with. These are the two ways that these things are generally translated. Uh, we're going to find the same thing as we step down into 18. 
Um, I'm actually going to tell you that I prefer the way that King James and the way that NIV translate it over the way that the NLT translates it in verse 18, and we'll look into that too. It's going to be the reason that we jump over to chapter 11 and 12 of 2 Corinthians. So let's read. Again, I, I'm a, I, like I say, I, I teach God's Word, so it, we're, we're eight chapters deep now. Okay? So I, I want you to keep this in mind uh, for, for the sake of brevity, right? For the sake of y'all not really seriously being here till like 10 o'clock tonight. We're jumping into verse 8 instead of going through the entire thing. Uh, but there's a lot been said leading up to this point. I, I would love for you all to go back and study the entire book because this is the climax, right? This is like where he's driving home the point of what he's been telling us this entire time. He's been pouring out the gospel in the clearest form that you'll find in all of Scripture. It's taken him eight chapters to get to this point, and we're jumping into it. Okay, We're jumping into it, but I want you to realize that there's a lot been said that if you really want to fully understand this, you're going to have to get in, and you're going to have to kind of drudge through it with Paul. Let Paul, you know, let Paul kind of drag you through it. I'm going to you know, do the best that I can at this point, but man, Paul does such an excellent job uh, as he writes this, this book or this letter. So verse 17, chapter 8. And since we are his children... We are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. We're going to come back to this. Okay, so I don't want you to miss this, this piece here. What are we heirs of? What has he brought us into? Okay, I want, us, I want to make a, a, a clear point that God has brought us to him. Okay? And this is the part where I say go back and read. Go back and read in, in Romans chapter 3, and what you'll find is that we are all enemies and that none of us seek after God. None of us have ever sought after God. God calls us, draws us to himself to do this. Okay? To do this, to give this truth, that we have been made heirs of God's glory. Do you hear me? We are heirs of his glory. Now, some... Especially in America today, we have this gospel that we would like to preach that because of this, you just, you know, if you've never been, if you're sick, just pray hard enough and it'll go away, okay? If you don't have enough money, maybe you can't pay your bills, just pray hard enough. Just pray hard enough. Sometimes, I want us to understand that sometimes God desires us to go through what we're going through and He's still in that, working for our good. Why do I say that? Tell me I didn't pray hard enough for Allie. Tell me I did not. Somebody raise their hand and say, you didn't pray enough for your daughter. Please, someone. And all of us know this. All of us know this because we experience this. We love God. He's drawn us to Himself, yet still... We find ourselves suffering. He didn't drop money on our doorsteps. Right? We still have to pay bills. We still have struggles. We still have trials and tribulations. So let's not think that because we are heirs of His glory, that we're not going to suffer, that we're not going to struggle, 
that we're not going to have hard times. Because that would be a lie. And that is not the gospel that has been presented and been passed down to us. Okay, The gospel that's been presented and passed down to us, as we're going to see, is that in spite of these things, we are more than conquerors. In spite of these things. So, we are heirs of His glory, but it doesn't stop there. But if we are to share in His glory, the translation that I have says, we must also share in His suffering. I want to, to take a second here, and I want us, because you may be looking, and yours probably doesn't say must unless you've got a translation like mine. Okay, so I want us to look at the two popular translations, and I want us to see that they, in fact, say the same thing. Okay? I'm going to read mine. But if we are to share in His glory, we must also share in His suffering. The part in bold there. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also, that we may be also glorified together. And uh, NIV. If indeed. So there's this if here. There's this stipulation here. We see in Scripture that God for us has not ordained that we never suffer. He's not ordained that, that you just pray it and it may not go away. Sometimes we suffer. And, and we've got, the, the culture that we're in today is so ingrained with this, well, if you pray it and it doesn't go away, then what we're left with is we're left with thinking, well, they must have some kind of sin left away, tucked away in their life. We're left ourselves thinking that I'm going through what I'm going through. What sin is it that's tucked away somewhere? What we go... If we only knew. If we only knew. And we're going we're gonna to see this as we, as we press on through Scripture. I'm going to go ahead and make mention of it now. That, that you, Christian, for eternity past... God has had his heart fixed on you. His love for you does not change because of what you do. Okay? You do not work to gain his approval. You do not work so that you can be among his favored. He favors you because he will. Because He has chosen to love you in spite of you. So we must also share in His suffering. The thing that I want us to, to look at here is I, I want to tell you, don't be afraid of that. Okay? How many of us are scared is it alright if I get a, a bit personal? Is it alright? Is there? I want us to be real. Okay, as a church, I want us to be real with one another. So I'm going to ask you some questions. And, and Kip, I'm going to ask you, does it scare you? I want us to be honest. Alright, I want us to be honest. Does it scare you what you may find out Tuesday? How many of us find ourselves so often 
so fearful of tomorrow. Oftentimes, so fearful of tomorrow that we will not move today. Can we raise our hands? I'd like a little bit of feedback. We, sh we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. Now, I know that the, that the reality of it is, is that we do, right? I'm sitting in the hospital, and the doctor's telling me all this stuff, and he tells me, in all likelihood, he says, we're going to have to take your wife back to the emergency room. When they have pregnancies that are birthed like this, they tend to bleed a lot, and we don't, we're just to be safe. And here I'm thinking, I'm going to be Job, and I'm going to be going home to Mary Corinne without... The, the sister that she thought we were coming home with, and without the mom that I went to the doctor with. And I'm sitting there, fearful, fearful of what might happen. Fearful of it. Like, Lord, I know that you've got me in the Scripture, and we're about to look at Romans 8.18, and this is the Scripture literally I was reading days before. And he says this. Go 18, thank you. And like I say, here I prefer these translations to the one that I tend to read out of. I'm going to read it out of mine first. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. There's two parts there that it's slightly different. And the first is where we're going to be uh, looking at primarily in King James and in the NIV. They essentially say the same things. They use a little bit different word. At the bottom of this, if anybody's interested... I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that because if I got it right, y'all be like, man, how smart Landon is. And if I got it wrong, it'd be the opposite. <laughs> so this is the word here that is translated for I reckon or I consider in the New International Version. Now this word matters here. This word matters because a man, a real man, a person is writing this letter and he is saying this. He says, for I reckon... Or I consider, and this word here is used essentially in the tallying up. Alright? In the tallying up. To take in all things into consideration. So what he's saying here is I've considered every... And, and like I said, this is paraphrasing. You can see the scripture here. I'm just kind of trying to bring out of the scripture what I see in it. That I'm analyzing everything that I know. Everything that has ever happened to me. Everything good. Everything bad. And here's what I've come to consider. That our present sufferings are not worth comparing. He says are here. Are. Okay. So the first thing that comes to mind as I read this. And it may come to your mind as you read this. Is, is, is Paul just brushing away? Like, I'm reading this, Lord, are you just telling me, just get over that thing, man. Just get over the death of your second daughter. Like, just move on. Is he like, just, is that what he's telling us? What is he telling us? If, if not, just move on. Right? If he's not just saying, get over that, you know, that, that would seem very cold, right? <laughs> We hope that he's not saying that. I hope that he's not saying that, right? He's not just saying, move on. I don't care about your feelings. I don't care about your hurt. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. And that's what makes this verse so amazing. Okay? He's saying, I've considered it. I've looked at it. I've weighed it out on the scale that I have provided for me. And knowing who God is... What are these sufferings? 
What are they in comparison to what I have hope for in Him? Something in the life of Paul has caused him to change the way that he looks at the world in a way that's so different from the way that we look at the world, right? Like, something happens to us and immediately we're like, why God me? Why would you let this happen to me? I thought I was a pretty good person. There we go again. We step back over into this thinking that the things that occurred to us are because something we did or did not do. Instead of thinking that maybe, maybe... God knows more than us. Maybe God's plan is bigger than us. Maybe. Now just maybe. And I'm saying maybe here. Maybe it's not all about you. You're so vain. I bet you think this book is about you. Don't you? (laughs) I don't even know that song really. (laughs) <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let me get a drink of water. We're going to press on. <laughs> Y'all know when I'm running out of water, that's when I stop talking. <laughs> All right. So let's not be so vain. What if, what if Joseph, now we know the story of Joseph, right? Like Joseph's brothers, like, you know, they clearly didn't like him. They some slavery has this hard life. Like his entire life is just like weighing down on him. And all along the way he could have been like, I'd love to be with my dad. My dad loved me. He loved me the most. <laughs> he gave me my gave me that really nice coat and all that stuff. We find a picture in Genesis chapter fifty, verse twenty, and you could go there and look at this later. When kind of the big reveal happens in this story of Joseph. And Joseph's brothers who had sold him into slavery, who had done all this bad to him, they, they find out, oh no, now he's got some power. And they're, they're thinking in their mind, like, man, it's about to rain down on us, guys. Like, we're all dead, right? And what does he tell them in 5020 of the book of Genesis? He says, what you intended for evil... God intended for good. Now, let's paraphrase him. Do we have it up there? Yeah. Do we? I don't think we do. I think if we understood that truth, that it would change the way that we relate to one another. It would change the way that we relate to God. It would change the way that we relate to our circumstances. Okay? His entire life, we would sit, and this is how we do it. This is how we do it. We would sit, and, and even if we kind of grasp this, what we would say is, okay, so I know this hard time's coming now, and God's working it together for my good. I'm going to look for it for the next, like, two or three months. I'll give him a year or two times. If I don't see it, then that wasn't working together for his good. His entire life, his entire life, for one moment, for one moment, all the pain, all the trials, all the turmoil, all the family issues. One moment. God intended it. God worked it out. But that was Joseph, right? That couldn't happen with us, right? It couldn't happen with us. Okay, so I want to, Mary and Bill, do y'all mind if I maybe use an example of your lives? You're going to make Mary and Bill. Uh, my second mom and dad. I'm not even going to call you 
in-laws. Y'all are are my second parents. I've seen so much of God's work in your lives. And one experience that they had, and this was was big for me. I want y'all to know that I have seen your suffering. God's working in me through your suffering. God has worked in me, and God will work in me and my family for that. So I I pray that y'all see that, but y'all experienced... Before you had Adrian, uh, an experience similar to ours, you lost a child. Now, I would just speculate that in your 40s, you're not looking to have two little kids to raise. (laughs) So you lost a child, so you probably would not have had Adrian had you not experienced pain. Yet that pain happened. God didn't wipe it under the rug. God didn't say, just get over it. But God's plan, the whole time, working out, working out. And I'm glad it did. I think y'all are glad it did too. Every single one of us, if we would look for it, would see these kind of experiences. God working this together. But what if, What if whatever it is that's happened to you or is happening to you, you would never see it? What if you would never see the results of that? Would you still trust that God is using that to work together in some way for the good of what we're going to see in a little bit? Would we believe that? Do we have to see it? Are we that kind of people? Are we that vain? i got to see that good that you're doing i got to see you working it out. Or would we be willing to work and toll away all the days of our life, never seeing things blossom, never seeing things grow, knowing that God is faithful for His purpose? Do we believe that? Do we? It's a question I want you to work on internally. So now all of this, what is Paul considering? You know what's cool is we get to see in Scripture what Paul's considering. Paul writes the book of Romans, the letter of Romans, in around 56, late 56, early 57 A.D. Just prior to writing this, he finishes the book of 2 Corinthians, which is where we're going to go next. Okay, so everything that we're going to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and chapter 12, Paul is here considering. And it's not done yet, okay? We're going to see three shipwrecks of Paul. <laughs> he gets a fourth, <laughs> and he tells them, like, guys, we're going to wreck. It's not going to be good. He'd been in enough shipwrecks to know what one would look like. <laughs> so let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter Chapter 11, we're going to start reading in the middle of verse 21. It says, and I'm, here's, what I, here's what I'm going to do. I don't have this whole thing put up there. Read it in yours, okay? Uh, you're going to get the point, I think. So here's what Paul's considering. I think we should get into the mind of Paul a little bit when we're starting to look at especially how he, he kind of reins us all in. 
He's all that we are going through, right? He's weighing it all against what he knows to be true. He says, but whatever, they dare to boast about. I'm talking like a fool again. I dare to boast about it too. Are the Hebrews? So am I. Are the Israelites? So am I. Are the descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I want you to make note of the question that he asked prior to going into all of this. Okay? I want you to make note of what he asked. Are they servants of Christ? Because he's kind of defending himself here. Right? Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number. I want, I want to point something out here that, that if Paul knew how many times he'd been beaten, he would have put it down because he puts down the ones that he knows. But clearly, here he's been beaten so many times, he's lost count. He's lost count. He's been beaten so many times. He's lost count. Some of us may can say that. Some of us may feel like that. That we've been beaten so many times. We've lost count of how many times we've been beaten down by the world. He goes on. I've been whipped times without number. Face death. Again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. That might be worth reading again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Some translations will read 40 minus 1. It's interesting if you look into what this is all about. They would beat them to the point of death. Literally, if they hit them the 40th time and did not kill them, then the one who was administering the punishment would die. Okay? So we're not talking about like a spat on the hand. This is what happened to Jesus, and it happens to Paul five times before he writes Romans. <laughs> it's probably more than that because the man wouldn't shut his mouth. Five times he's been beaten to the point of death. Verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. So if it's not bad enough to get beaten with the lashes, now he's getting beaten with, with rods. Once I was stoned. Hold on a second, man. Stoning generally doesn't turn out good for the person getting stoned, does it? Like, what normal, like, the point of stoning is that, like, you know, like, you know, you ran a red light, we're going to stone you to death. Some of us think the Old Testament works that way, but it doesn't. Well, you generally tried to kill somebody. That was kind of the purpose, right? Like, we're going to stone you to bruise you up a little bit. No. They're not going to stone you to bruise you up a little bit. So he's been stoned. The man's been stoned, beaten, stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times. We're going to have a message on this at some point in the future. It will not be after I wrap this one up today. You'll get to go home. At some point in the future we're going to have a message on this because we love, 
we, and I do too. Like if, if you're ever in a trial or if you're ever in a storm, man, I hope that God calls out to calm that storm. I do. I do. My prayer for me, like if I'm in storms, I want him calm in that thing. I want to be like, Lord, let me step out. Let calm this stuff up. Paul was shipwrecked three times. What does that mean? What does that mean? Do you think Paul was praying? Do you think maybe just a little bit? I mean, it's Paul. Maybe a little bit. So Paul's praying, and what do you think his prayer is? Lord, I don't want to die in this shipwreck. Calm the storm. Step out on the sea. I'll get off in the water with you a little bit, right? Like, please. Please not again. Yeah, seriously, three times. But what happens? Shipwreck after shipwreck. We give up after one. Like, God doesn't love me anymore. I'm going to walk away from this whole thing. It doesn't seem to be working out as planned. Three times. Oh, my goodness. If that ain't bad enough. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea, so I got, apparently the man steps foot on a boat and they sink. <laughs> Three times. I'm, I'm not riding by boat anymore. I'm going to walk the long way around, you know. <laughs> wow. And then he's got a night and a day adrift at sea. I wonder what he was praying then. Verse 26. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers, from robbers. I've faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. I've faced dangers from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long. And during many sleepless nights, I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Verse 29. I'm skipping verse 28 right there. But verse 29. He asks the question, who's weak without me feeling that weakness? I want us to examine our lives, right? Like, we face dangers sitting in our padded pews, right? Like, like, look at this. Look at us. Look at what he was apparently comfortable with, getting on boats that sink. We are so fearful of what tomorrow holds that we won't get out of our pew to do anything. We won't speak to someone in need for fear of how crazy they're going to think we are. How crazy do you think I am this morning? You have no clue how crazy I am this morning. As bad as you think it is, it's probably a little bit worse. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? He goes on. He goes on. Uh, we're going to jump over to chapter 2. 12 here, and we're going to look at verse 7, kind of midway through verse 7. So to keep me from, and I want you to pay attention who the actor is in the scenario. All right, I want you to pay attention to this. 
So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged. What did he beg? Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Three times. Not just praying. Just casually asking, like, it would be nice if you would kind of do this thing for me, Lord, and do me this little favor. He's begging. He's begging. All that he has, he's pouring into these prayers for the Lord to remove. And what does the Lord say to him each time? And this is what we need to come to realize. Church, this is what we need to come to realize. We're so looking to be comfortable. We're so looking to be comfortable. Right? Any kind of discomfort, and we're thinking, man, I'm not in the will of God. I don't think it was supposed to be this difficult for me to do. And here's what God tells him. So he's praying here. He's praying hard. Lord, take this away from me. And, the, and God says to him, what? My grace is all you need. Is it? Is it? Is it? For you today, is it? If you knew what His grace was and you fully could grasp and comprehend exactly how much you do not deserve it, it would blow your mind. All you need is His grace. But Lord, the people of the world, they're going to see me and, you know... I see all these people and they say, if, you know, if, if you love Jesus, you're, gonna, you're not going to have any kind of suffering on you. Here are all these people, all my friends that look at me and they're like, maybe you need to pray a little bit harder for that new job. Maybe you need to be praying a little bit harder for a little more money so you can pay your bills on time. Maybe you need to be praying a little bit harder for your kids. We want power to be found in us, right? This is why we go around and we're like, you know, this is what I do for a living. I'm an engineer, right? I've been to school seven years. How many of you is that impressive to, right? How many of you does that impress? That's what we want, is it not? That's what we strive after, is it not? Are you impressed yet, church? Have I impressed you enough today? Because if we can't be impressive, maybe we don't speak as eloquently as someone else. We don't have seven years of schooling to make us feel smarter than everybody. And then, well, I can't be used at all. And what does God say? This is what we should all seek after. First, God's grace is all that we need. Second, His power works best where? 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 How many of you want to be strong? 
You better not want it of your own self. I want to be weak. I want you to look at me, and I don't want you to say, man, Lennon's got seven years of education. He went to school for a long time. Isn't he so smart? Isn't he so eloquent? I want you to look at me the same way they looked at the apostles. <laughs> Them guys is ignorant fishermen. Do you know the only thing that they had that they could say about them? They were with Jesus. They were with Jesus. He goes on to say in the latter part of verse 10 there, For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this is the Paul that's considering back in Romans chapter 8. All right, so I want us to go back to 8 now. This is the guy that's saying this. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. I'm going to read it in the other one. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not, worth, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In the NIV. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be, that will be revealed in us. Now you know who's saying it. You got a little picture into what he's been considering here. So that we don't sit and think he's been up in his place of comfort. Kind of dishing out this. Y'all just overreacting to your situation. Right? Like, he's not been a man of ease. Shipwrecked three times. Beaten half to death. I, I, you know, like, not even half to death. Like, 99% to death five times. Like, this is the guy saying this. This is the guy saying this. It's so bold. So bold in saying it. And, and as I was going through the trials that Adrian and I faced, and I was looking at this scripture, because God had ordained that I be in that place at that time, I asked him, Lord, let me consider this. I never want to forget this pain. I never want to forget this suffering. Lord, when I drive my car, let me look in the back seat and see a seat missing so that I can consider. Consider what? What are we weighing our suffering against, Christians? What are we, what are we weighing it against? Scripture says it. You can read it. This is not even a hard one. This is a question I would like for you to answer. What are we weighing it against? How great is His glory? How great is it? We can understand it. We can understand it. You know what we do understand, though? We understand our suffering. Do we not? Do we not understand our suffering? So here we get, in Romans 8.18, a means by which to weigh out the glory of God. That's to take all the suffering we got. Take it all. Weigh it. What do we find? It's greater than that. So much greater 
than that. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory. Nothing compared to the glory. Each and every one of you, you need to consider this. If there was one thing that I would hope that you would get from today's service is is how big God is. How glorious God is. How worthy of our praise God is. In the midst of lamentations, Dustin, man, that was, you're going to have to preach that here. The message that you led us in class this morning. In the midst of lamentations, in the midst of lamentations, like women eating their own babies. Yeah, that's gross, and I said it. Go read Lamentations. That's how bad it got. Like moms cooking up their own kids. And in the midst of this, what is Jeremiah? Hope in the praise and glory of how great our God is. Let us never lose sight of that. Let that be the thing that we keep our eyes fixed on, church. No matter what you're going through, don't forget about it. Don't brush it aside like it's nothing. Weigh it out. Let it build up for you in your heart an understanding of how great the glory of our God is. He is greater than all of our understanding. He is greater than all of our suffering. And on top of that, He's working all of it out. He's working it out. Let's jump down to verse 28. Verse 28 starts, interestingly enough, and we know, you'll notice in mine it says that, in the other translations it also says that. Um, and we know. So I want to ask the question first, as, as we dig into this, do we know this? If we don't know this, let us take hold of the truth that we're about to see here. Let us know this truth. Know it. Okay? Or just kind of think it might be. Right? Know this. Know this truth. Because he says it here like it's, like it's the given. Know this truth. And we know... Now this is where you're going to see two different ways of reading it out here. I prefer the way that it says it in the NLT and the way that it says it in the NIV. Uh, in the King James Version, uh, to make note of this... It still says it. You need to continue reading for it to be really made uh, crystal clear. The next two or three verses in the King James help kind of identify who it is that's performing this work. And it, sa it says in the, King, or in the King James, it says, All things work together for good to them that love God. Right? In NIV it says, All things God works for the good. There's, there's a difference in the reading there. Uh, you see, if you continue reading in any of the translations in verse 29, 30, who the object is that's doing this work. Okay? So I want to, we've already considered these things in verse 18. We're considering our suffering, weighing that against the hope that we have in Christ, and then a more, even more amazing thing that we see. And we know that God, and this is in the NLT, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. 
for them. Now, like I say, there are some who would use this verse to convince you that if you do not immediately see the results in a good way, then this is wrong. I want us to consider one thing here. For, two things. First, do you know? Do you know that God is in fact working together in the good and in the bad to bring about your good? Okay? And your good is not retiring at 50 at the beach of your choosing. Okay? Because when we think about good, let's be honest, that's what we think about. When I say good, what do you think about? Like it would be good for me to be driving around in like a $300,000, you know, like exotic sports car, right? Like I think that would be pretty good until I got the first payment in the mail. It will probably be something altogether different then. We have a view that's skewed as to what the good that God's working for is. It is not, friends, it is not your financial prosperity. It is not, and that's not popular, and I'll admit to that. But that is not the good that he's working for. That's not. It's not that you would be, like, perfectly healthy. It's not. Do you know what blows my mind about all this, like health, wealth, prosperity? You still die. I don't care how healthy you are, you die. That gospel leaves open. That's not a gospel. Let's be clear on that. It leaves open the biggest question in my mind. So you're healthy and you're wealthy and you've got all this stuff and you die. Then what? Then what? If there's no life after death, it's vain. Ecclesiastes, we just stepped into it just a little bit right there. It's vanity. Vanity of vanities. It's foolishness. So what good then is he working for? And let me tell you, I want to go ahead and get this out there before we get to it. It is the most amazing good that you will ever see in Scripture. It's a good that so overshadows nice cars, nice clothes, big houses, nice jobs, nice vacations. Line up all the good that you see and that you think you see in the world. I want you to line that up, and I want you to weigh it against this. Verse 29. For God knew his people in advance. Church, he knew you. He knew you in advance. He knew your situations. He knew your circumstances. Just like in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. All these things that are happening. All these things that are occurring. He's working for your good. He knew you in advance. 29. For he knew his people in advance. And he chose them. Some are going to say he predestinated them. He predestined them. We'll probably have a, another message at some point on that because there's a lot to be said there. For what? What did he choose them for? Say it again. <laughs> I'm speaking, speaking into the mic. To be like his son. 
That's the good. That's the good He has for each and every one of us who are His. The good He has for you is to conform you into the picture of Christ. He's going to make you holy. He will make you holy. Yeah. Yeah. Chill bumps. Especially when we consider how unholy of a people we are. He has good for you. That good is that you look like Christ. Not that you would have lesser things. You hope for lesser things and you miss out. Lord, let our eyes be set on this prize. For God knew His people in advance. And he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, verse 30, and having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. He did this. All right, read this. He did this. And nowhere in here does it talk about the good that we did or what we brought to the table or what we had to offer. Do we need to read it again? So that that becomes clear to us that it's not about how good we can be. He gave us right standing. He gave us right Go to the last slide. And here we see what we saw in verse 17. Wrapped up. And he gave them his glory. Verse 17. But if we share in his glory, this is the end. This is what he's leading us to. If we share in His glory, we must also share in His suffering. Let's go away today not considering our suffering. We share. He doesn't share in our. It says we share in His suffering. This is a God not distant from us. This is a God that's so acquainted with suffering, He died. He came back. He came back. He died so that his work could be done. That's what we're seeing here in, verse, in these verses. His work is being done. He's done this work. We could never do this work. We can never earn this work. We can never bring enough to the table to acquire God's glory. But for some reason, this still eludes me and still escapes me. He's chosen. To make me like Him. Christian, He's chosen to make you like Him. Stand if you will. I'm going to read. This is closing. You can come to the altar if you want to come to the altar. You can praise God if you want to praise God. Whatever you want to do, you can do. I'm going to read in closing what He comes to the conclusion with, with this. This is the most powerful, in my opinion, passage of Scripture. And He's come to this conclusion because of all that He said. 
leading up to this point. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since He did not spare even His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, won't He also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for His own? No one, for God Himself has given us right standing with Himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Question. Verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the Scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No... No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Verse 38, I am convinced. Church, are you convinced? I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Do you know what this means? This means that if all hell gathered together against us, it would find itself lacking. Incredibly lacking. No matter what comes against you, victory is ours. Not in us. Not in our strength. In His no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that He has revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, You overwhelm me in every way. Your word is a place of comfort and of hope that can be found nowhere else apart from you. Let your glory be had, Lord. Let your name be lifted up. Lord, let us weigh the sufferings of our lives and understand that they pale to the hope that we have in Christ. Let us understand that that hope is not because of anything that we could do, that that hope is not because of anything that we had to offer, or that hope is in you, that hope is by you, that hope is for you. Thank you so much for Christ. 
and for the cross. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of me and my family and my church. I pray that we would be encouraged today. Lord, that we would shed off the fears that we have about what waits for us because we understand who it is that goes before us. Thank you, Lord, for Christ. It's in His name that I pray.